Hello everyone and welcome to Two Goals. I'm Maria Laura. And I'm Katya. And today we're introducing you to the never-ending discussion of the role of sports law in developing women's football. For that, we have brought a special guest from Colombia. She's a lawyer, specialized both in commercial law and sports law, member of organized law associations, and a lead to follow when understanding women's football panorama in the country. Maria Jose Garcia, welcome to Two Goals. Hi, Maria Laura. Hi, Katia. Thank you for the invitation. I'm really honored to be here and I hope uh, for your audience too. Thank you, Maria Jose, and um, welcome, as Maria said. And we're going to start with the beginning of your life. So, and we are, when we talk about Colombia, we always uh, think about uh, Colombia as a country with a huge football culture which means the majority of the population usually are crazy about football since they were young. In your particular case, were you a football fan since you remember, or this was something that you started having some interest while growing up? Okay, regarding this question, I have to be clear that I was a sports fan since I remember. My father has always been a sportsman and he used to play high performance basketball like when I when he was young and then uh, when he had me and my brother he used to play tennis. My brother and I has always been playing some kind of sports. We used to watch mainly like Colombia's national football team games and my mother when I was little used to dress me up like a like a cheerleader. <laughs> it was it was like really funny because it was like the only contact I had with football like after, before I was like 10 years old. My father did not like football as he did like tennis and basketball. And that's why my oldest cousin made me a real football fan. Uh, when, I, when, I, when I was 10 years, I started going to live games and became a junior fan. Junior is like local team in Barranquilla, my city. In high school, I went to almost all the games, and it was definitely my favorite plan with my school friends. Um, unfortunately, when I was in school, women's football was not as known as it is now in Barranquilla. And in fact, we created women's football team at my school when I was in high school. Uh, I must say, I, uh, I was never good at playing because this is a question that I often receive, but I loved it. And with the lack of other teams, we were like the best school in Barranquilla. <laughs> so that was great. Amazing, amazing. And actually, I am aware that the junior, junior teams in, in terms of women's football right now is, I mean, it's quite exact, it's, uh, exciting, I think. And after that, after finishing your high school days, you start your education by studying law, but first you specialized yourself in commercial law. Could you please develop on why this first step before entering the sports law pathway? Well, since I was in, in, in law school, I knew that I wanted to work and study something related to sports, but I didn't knew that sports law existed as a legal practice itself. In fact, uh, I tried to do something related to sports for my dissertation and I wrote about football players' image rights, which is not strictly sports law matter, as you may know, but it like combined the two of my passions at that moment, football and intellectual property slash like commercial law. Um, I loved such practice areas because I started working on IP and, and antitrust law when I was in my fourth year of, of, of law school. 
And there I had my first board related matters because my boss in that time was the MLBs, the Major League Baseball IP lawyer in Colombia, and I had the opportunity to assist them with all their trademark matters. It was everything from the commercial law perspective. And in fact, I decided to specialize in commercial law because it was, let's say, like general enough to be useful for any future job I would try to work in. It was related to my current job at that moment. And in Colombia, when I, when I started working, um, I considered I didn't have enough experience to apply to a master's degree and there were no postgraduate degrees related to sports law offered by Colombian universities. So if I had wished to, to, to study sports law at that time, I would have to travel to another country and I felt that I wasn't prepared enough for that. Yeah, and uh, you're now uh, talking about the, your educational pathway and already covered a bit of everything. But usually here in our podcast, we try to understand um, the entire pathway of our guests because sometimes there's a point during a determined time of our life when we need to think about our pathway and what we want to pursue. And as you said, after you studied and specialized yourself in commercial law, You did a master in international sports law. Why this decision? Was this a planned decision to try and the sports industry? Yes, definitely it was a planned decision. My first and only boss, who I love, he's a perfect teacher, a friend and a colleague, always, since I was in law school, taught me that it was important to apply to master's degrees when you have enough professional experience to really take advantage of the classes and also like to contribute to the academic discussions you had in them. So that's why in 2016, I decided to quit the job when, where I was working with him and become an independent IP and, I, and sports lawyer. And it was only in late 2017 that I decided that it was the correct timing to start studying sports law. Like, I, I thought that at that time, I had already my first sport law cases and I had some academic basis for the sports labor law class. I took uh, in 2014 in Javeriana University and like all the Acodeports academic meetings, which I had been assisting since 2013. So I believe that uh, I was just waiting for the correct moment and having enough experience to, to, to be able to, to take the, the more positive things out of my master's degree. And in fact, I believe uh, it was like that. Actually, um, I'm very curious because you mentioned that you become an independent lawyer. I am aware that for a, a degree as, as a lawyer, you're able, I mean, it's a lot more common to be independent. But at the same time, and I'm talking because I'm Colombian myself, it is, it is quite hard. It's not like the stable path, you know, like it's not taking part of these big firms or organizations where you will be certain of having a salary uh, or you have this certain amount of task, so it is, and, and I have found this in other guests from our podcast, it is amazing to see that mostly, I mean, women who take this path, they, they do have this sense of the importance of being uh, like an entrepreneur, and this is always important, and you have a, this special courage to, to highlight. <laughs> I think this is really important, but can you please develop a, a bit more about 
the actual environment itself of sports law in the country? How was it? Was it organized? And maybe if you find some differences between back then when you started and today. Sure. Well, uh, during my first postgraduate years, uh, sports law, as I told you, was definitely a very unknown practice area in Colombia. Uh, I didn't know it existed until my boss, who I've been talking about, invited me to a conference that was being offered by Bogota's Chamber of Commerce related to anti-doping uh, in Colombia. It was like an anti-doping expert that was going to share some experiences about sport and law. Like for some reason that day, my boss couldn't attend the event and I went by myself. And I loved so much the experiences shared by the lawyer that I, wanted, that I waited uh, until it was ended and everyone was gone to talk to him about my interest in sports law. That lawyer is called Andres Charria and Andres was the one who presented me to be part of ACODEPOR, the association, uh, the sports law, one of the sports law associations in Colombia. And once a week we started having lunch. He used to teach me sports law basic concepts and he was uh, my first sports law teacher and friend. And he's now my partner in a sports law project we will be launching in a few years. And um, like, even though, uh, sports law wasn't very known at that moment. Um, my boss had always insisted me to open the practice area at the law firm because I worked at a, at a, at a North American law firm and they had like in the United States um, practice sports law and entertainment. But as an associate law, lawyer and Maria Laura, I believe Maria Laura knows, knows this, I didn't have the time to do it and I was never convinced of like creating this whole practice area uh, only for a third party. Uh, additionally, my life changed completely in 2016 because I moved from Bogota to Armenia with my husband and I believe that working remotely was like the last push I needed to make the decision to quit find my own clients in a different city and work in my, in my dream sports law. So let's say that from then to now, the scenario is completely different. The, like today, there are a lot of universities offering different types of academic programs related to sports law. There are a significant number of boutique law firms and lawyers specialized in sports law. And even the big classic law firms from Bogota are now interested in opening such practice areas. So let's say that the scenario has, has changed significantly in the past five to six years. Good to know. That, that means we are in a good road for, for the future. No, but exactly. <laughs> meanwhile, in 2017, you started working at Asociación Colombiana de Derecho Deportivo that stands for Sports Law uh, Colombian Association, um, first as a president and after as a member of the Directive Council. Can you explain to us what is this association all about and your roles within it? Sure. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, we, we, we call the, asso the association as ACODEPOR. It's, it's initials in Spanish. It is a nonprofit organization that seeks to promote sports law in Colombia and encourage its study and development in our country as an independent law practice area. Uh, it all started in 2013 with about 
lawyers and I joined as a member in 2013, being the eighth member of the association. Uh, as I was telling you, at that time, we used to gather just on Tuesdays once a month, like to share different sport-related experiences. Uh, and since then, the association has grown to become one of the biggest sports law associations in the country with more than 60 members. Uh, we have the opportunity to organize like great academic events. Um, last year and on 2018, we had the opportunity to organize the two first international sports law events in Colombia. We have also been recognized for the by the Constitutional Court here in Colombia as a sports law experts, and they have requested us some opinions on sports-related matters in which they've, they've had to issue a decision. So, like, it's been a great uh, development of the association. It's, like, one of my favorite jobs in the world, and... I hope that next year that it ends my period as a Directive Council member. It, it, it keeps growing and I keep being a member because really I believe the association gives me a lot of opportunities and open my mind to, to new experiences and to, to new knowledge that has been very useful for me and my professional life. But actually you weren't done there. You, I mean, you just mentioned that you love this job and that you have taking uh, like an important part of creating a legal, legal framework in sports in Colombia, which is great. I think that sometimes in Latin American countries where when you don't have the legal framework or when you're not discussing things, this is when we start having problems and issues because it means that there is a lack of formality of this area. And this is where you, you will start kind of like finding people who take advantage of others or just, or maybe they are disadvantaged for, for groups into taking part of this. So it is great that in April of 2019, another association was born uh, where you're now the vice president and you were also the founder of Asociación de Futbolistas Colombianas, which is the association of female footballers in a way. I think that that will be the exact literally translation. Yes, so, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> can you please tell us about the association? Tell us to, this to our audiences and what are the main objectives and values of creating this, this organized group? Well, what can I tell you about AFUTCOL? It's, it's like uh, AFUTCOL for its initials in, in, in Spanish. Uh, AFUTCOL is like our baby. <laughs> it is growing very, very slowly and one step at a time, but, but hopefully with a very bright future. Um, the association is, again, a nonprofit association that was born to protect and represent women's football players in distinctive like of their status of professional or amateur players. We also seek to share a relevant information and history of women's football in Latin America, which we believe uh, we are lacking to know, particularly here in South America. We like to promote the study of women's football and its diffusion as the essential start point in order to be able to generate strategies and promote positive changes that really and truly adjust to women's football history, its reality and its current needs. And regarding the to women's football in Colombia specifically, 
Uh, me and Maria, we know about the panorama of women's football in your country, but that is, is turbulent and there, there are so many difficulties. But all, our audience may not know uh, clearly about it, especially regarding the law issues and, and cases. So can you tell us why the necessity of an association only dedicated to women's players? Sure. Uh, well, personally, I've been working on women's football since 2017, like uh, right before our professional league started here in Colombia. And I had the opportunity to work and get to know a lot of players who nowadays are my friends. Like getting to know them made me realize the difficult path they've had to ride and all the, uh, all the needs and difficulties they have to face in order to play football and live from football. Uh, that's why in 2019, and with some of my closest friends in football, we've decided to create a football. Mainly, uh, we seek to fill like uh, a gap that we considered it existed because Acolfutpro, which is Colombia's professional football player association that is recognized by FIFPRO, uh, was leaving like the gap that I mentioned because they only represent professional players and they did not affiliate women with the right to vote and decide any of the matters of the association. So like we wanted to become the first organization that really recognized women's football reality and the fact that most of the players here in Colombia are still amateur and that they need an organization created by them and for them. Um, one of the main objectives of a football is to change players approaching to football clubs and organizations. Like um, from our point of view, the way in which this was being done was only causing problems because it was always like a conflict. We wanted to become definitely a new source of positive change and try to, instead of uh, fighting against the clubs and fighting against the football organizations here in our country, we wanted to construct women's football hand in hand with the other groups of interests, like uh, the sports ministry, the National Federation of Football, the Mayor, which is um, the professional football authority here in Colombia, and not trying to act always against them. So we've been trying to work on that, and I believe that has opened new doors for us and to and for women's football, which were not as open as, as they had to be in the past years. So I believe it's a good start. As I told you, uh, we're having baby steps, but we hope uh, this may create a real change in the near future. Do you, do you recall, Maria Jose, that your positions before and your experience, for example, with the Colombian Sports Law Association, do you think this helped you to kind of understand what was happening? And I'm also curious about, do you, do you have normally discussions around sports law for women, maybe not only football, but sports law for women in this space, in the, in the association? Yeah, sure. Um, my position at Acolepo particularly uh, will always be useful for my career and, 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 and for sports law in general. But what really made me understand and identify women's, like the women's side in Colombia, was working with women's football amateur clubs and with the female players. 
Uh, in fact, I believe that if I hadn't started working with 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 these clubs and with these players in 2017, I I wouldn't have the perspective that I have now of the reality. Um, and particularly from Acodepor, uh, I believe it was about three years ago, we signed uh, a collaboration agreement with an, with an international association that is called Women in Sports Law that gathers uh, female sports lawyers around the world. And we did about two or three national events to gather the female sports lawyers here in Colombia. We're not as much as I wish we were, but every time uh, I get to know new female sports lawyers, which is like uh, a really great panorama for us here because that there's a lot of work to do, not only in football, but in other sports such as volleyball and basketball that are fighting to have their uh, own female professional league. So let's hope we have uh, all these women working on that. Yeah, and uh, regarding specifically to women's football uh, in Colombia, of course, um, we all know that there's some cases or law cases, let's say, um, all over the world, the, the news were spread. We were all aware uh, of this. But in fact, we don't remember. I, I can call it by uh, I'm Portuguese and living in Switzerland. and I don't have now the idea of what happened and why, because maybe there was not so uh, much talk about it. Which, in my opinion, was bad because we, if we have a problem, we need to spread it and we need to resolve it together if, if we can. And in the last couple of years, we've been listening to some of this situation and this case is happening in Colombia. So although it is a huge deal and preoccupation in the country, as I said, in fact, in other parts of the world, we tend to forget about them. And maybe because they are not explained to us in their totality. And maybe if we know uh, about some cases in particular and deeply, it can be a good example to, to spread awareness of what is happening in the country uh, and who, know, who knows what is happening also in other parts of the world. So to try and portray uh, at least one of these situations, can we, you share with us one of your cases or one major case regarding women's football in Colombia that you worked with? Sure. Uh, I would like to share like a really positive case because even though the, the women's football situation in Colombia is not as I would expect it to be because when our national professional league started, uh, it was only limited for professional clubs to participate in it. And in 2017, none of the professional clubs in Colombia had a female team. So like it was very difficult to start trying to organize this professional championship without the players, without the process. And all the professional teams started to gather players from the amateur clubs, which were the ones that were really doing the job during the past 20 years and who were not recognized uh, like by this development in women's football in our country. So one of my most favorite cases of all in women's football was the negotiation of a collaboration agreement between my beloved Junior de Barranquilla <laughs> and an amateur women's club 
local also from Barranquilla in order to obtain a significant number of players who could participate in, in 2019's professional league. Uh, this case is particularly special for me because it demonstrated me that when professional clubs really believe in women's football and wish to make a difference, um, it is possible to benefit not only the professional players that are hired, obviously, but also young players and their training clubs. Like this created real long-term processes and significant process, positive changes um, to their community in Barranquilla um, because they were players that had never had the chance to, to see themselves playing as professionals and having the, the opportunity to see their dream come true of being part of the Junior de Barranquilla, which you can't imagine what that feeling is in Barranquilla was definitely uh, a really positive change and, and a dream come true. This agreement allowed Junior to have the basis for a strong team with players that shared the same training process. It allowed the amateur club to obtain economic and commercial benefits for collaborating with Junior. It gave a relevant number of young players the opportunity to receive an income and play professional football. And it also gives, as I told you, the opportunity to the upcoming players to dream with the possibility of playing in their city's love team. So I believe that in the particular case of Club Cape, which was the training club, uh, was the recognition for the excellent job that they had been doing during the past years and the job that their managers have been doing for women's football. In fact, today, one of them is a former professional player. She's Kelly Spelucine, and she's a national team player, and she's currently working as the assistant coach of Junior's female team. So I believe that is a great story to tell. It demonstrates that change can be done, and that if all of the groups of interest in female football act and work together, we may change uh, the difficult reality we're living today. Thank you so much, Maria Jose, for sharing this. And actually, it's because you, you mentioned several important things to, to highlight. For example, the, the idea of building a long-term strategy, of gathering the, the main stakeholders or the stakeholders that care, because we, we also discussed this. It's not a matter of trying to change uh, the traditional perspectives. Maybe it's to try and bring new ones. Because at the end of the day, you will find people interested in working, especially or particularly in women's football, rather than, than just keep knocking the same doors and maybe wasting some efforts over there. And also because at the end of the day, we, I know that women's football is all about the rights. I mean, women, we are allowed to, I mean, we should be allowed to play football without being asked why we should take this part of the sport. But if there isn't an incentive behind, if there isn't uh, a market working and people being interested of the idea of building this huge brand or of yeah, getting revenue from this, we are aware that this won't become like a long-term successful strategy at the end. So really thank you for sharing this particular case because it, it does, it does build a positive image that it is not about demanding for 
something and maybe just demanding something for free. That's the, the thing. We are not free riders. Exactly. We're actually building something that will get some revenues for all. Exactly. Um, and I have and I have a phrase. So sorry, Maria Laura, I interrupt you, but I no, think no, it no. is important. I've always said that if you want to make a change, you have to make things differently from the way they have been doing them. Because you cannot pretend to change a reality that is a really tough reality, doing exactly the same thing that has been done during the past 10 or 20 years. So that's what, what we're trying to do, uh, like from Acodepor, from Afutcol, and, and, and from Magia, which is a project I will, I will tell you about in a minute. Mm -hmm. No, well, thank you. Actually, thank you for your interruption because this connects perfectly with my, my next question, which is, I mean, <laughs> the, the importance of inclusion. I mean, because you're saying, you're talking about doing things differently. So we need different, different, diverse perspectives, different perspectives, different backgrounds, realities. And we are still aware of the amount of stereotypes intrinsic in our society, in our local society in Colombia and in many countries around the world regarding football and the role of women in football. Would you say, and maybe this will help you to develop this answer, it will be easier in a country like ours to be a woman lawyer working in sports or maybe a women football player what would you say about this <laughs> well i believe it is easier to be a woman lawyer than to be a woman football player because undoubtedly they face more obstacles and difficulties in trying to live from what they love than us lawyers like um, as i was telling you uh, every time i have the opportunity to participate like in different sports law uh, and female football events i get to know more and more colleagues that love and live for football there is obviously still a significant difference in the number of male and female sports lawyers but nowadays um, this is beneficial for us like we are certainly the unique ones that are making the difference in sports law and thankfully when we are in in when we are talking about lawyers um i feel it is an industry in which male colleagues are really open to working and learning from each other so i believe it is easier for us uh women women footballers have uh, a tough path but but this will be changing this has been changing and and this will this will have a crucial change in the next years i believe so yeah and uh, you use the perfect word change we we are all striving for change we want to change and women's football and women in football the place of women in football will change we hope so during the times we have ahead so and we were talking here in this podcast in this interview about Colombia women's football. And we know that Colombia is building its path in women's football. Uh, fortunately, with the help of players and professionals like you, players as we had here in our podcast as guests, uh, Vanessa and Manuela. So not only in, Co in Colombia, but also uh, all over the world, uh, we know that women's football will reach its maximum potential, maybe, and we hope so, only in a decade. So. How and where do you see women's football in Colombia in 10 years, especially regarding to professional contracts and players' rights? 
Well, you'll say I'm a dreamer, but I imagine Colombia is an example for women's football, not only in Latin America, but in the whole world. Uh, I truly believe that all the hard work that has been done by those that are interested in positioning and developing professional women's football today and in the past years will have its profits in a long-term basis. Uh, definitely, as we have been talking, women's football has a very difficult road, but the appropriate short, medium and long-term planning that was always missing, like for a real projection and long-term development of women's football particularly here in Colombia, has already been done. Um, as, as I mentioned before, I personally had the opportunity to work in a project called Magia, along with two of the most relevant national team players in Colombia, with, which are Catalina Usme and Orianica Velázquez. Uh, we also work with uh, who I believe is the best female football manager here uh, in Colombia too, that is Marcela Gomez also a, a former football player that is Juliana Davila and, and, and another colleague, lawyer and beloved friend who is Viviana, who is also a um, member of um, AFUTCOL. And we have already shared this project with our national federation, with Di Mayor, which as I told you, is our professional football authority, and also with some of the most relevant professional football clubs in Colombia. Uh, Magia is a project that includes a long-term projection for female football and aligns it with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and it seeks to benefit each and every one of the female football stakeholders from the economic, sports, social and legal perspective. Uh, we truly in Team Magia believe that a real change in football depends on the commitment and short-term sacrifice of each and every one of women's football participants and stakeholders. And once we understand, all the female football community understands that professional football is a business that has to be sustainable and that we all need to work together as a team, as I have been telling you, we will obtain a real change that will become a win-win relationship between, obviously, players, clubs, sports organizations, but also it will become a win-win relationship with all the third parties involved in women football that directly or indirectly participate in it. Um, we truly believe uh, this project will guarantee the profits the clubs and sports organizations need which is uh, not questionable, but it will also guarantee the stability the players need to play and live from football. So we are like, as, as I told you at the beginning of the, of the program, we are like standing in a, in a historic moment of female football in Colombia, where we are like playing the match point. The ball is in, is in, is in the, the National Federation's court right now. We are waiting some relevant decisions regarding what will be done next year for the professional league, female league here in Colombia. And we hope that the sports organizations take into account all that has been worked and done 
by by different uh, players, by different sports agents, by different uh, third parties that are really interested in developing women's football. So if everything goes right, I believe we will have very good news next year and hopefully we could have a new interview regarding all the developments here in Colombia. Uh, so thank you and this is recorded so in one year <laughs> <laughs> we'll call you again <laughs> but as you said this is an historic moment so we hope uh, that this historic moment can be the start for a bright future or a brighter future let's say. Sure. Um, Maria Jose, we reached the end of our episode, unfortunately, <laughs> but um, we want to thank you for accepting our invitation and uh, for being here, sharing with us your experience and your courage and, and strength to, to fight for women's rights should be an inspiration to all of us. You showed us that you can have your profession associated to a sport which you can love. Uh, and also fight for a cause, uh, pushing and working uh, for a better and equal society. So thank you for that. And to all of you listening to us, thank you for being there. You can follow us to have access to more information about our guests and their work on Twitter and Instagram with the name Two Goals Podcast. Thank you and take care. <laughs>